Welcome to the CCO Reads Podcast. CCO stands for Catholic Christian Outreach, a Canadian university student movement dedicated to evangelization. CCO is on campuses across Canada, forming young leaders for the renewal of the world. If you'd like to learn more about our work, you can visit our website, cco.ca. CCO Reads is an initiative of some of our staff and student missionaries. We believe that reading has the power to transform us in our world. As we strive to be missionary disciples of our Lord Jesus, we want to be influenced by good books. In this podcast, I speak with interesting guests about their experience of books and reading. Thanks for listening. Today, my guest is my good friend, Claire Brown. Welcome to my office, Claire. Thanks, Dan. I mean, my studio. (laughs) This is the studio. So I've known Claire for a long time. I think about 10 years now. Just about. And we met when you were a student at Queen's. I still remember you and another young woman coming to Newman House. And I met you outside in September. And then uh, you got really involved in the chaplaincy and... Then you graduated and left and went to Halifax and then came back eventually. Uh, And we're really happy to have you close to home here in Kingston. I'm very happy to be here. It's good to be back. You've actually known CCO for even longer than 10 years. And I think you probably met CCO before I did. Yeah. So let's just just tell me about your kind of history with CCO. Sure. So I, when I was in just going into high school, I was 14. CCO sent a summer mission project, an impact project to Halifax, and there was a team of three university students at my parish. And our parish didn't have a lot of young adults, um, so like university-aged um, adults. So they led faith studies for adults and then teens. And my sisters and I were all in, uh, took the Discovery Faith Study and uh, and it was a it was a really beautiful experience. And all throughout the summer, we went to different uh, CCO events that impact the impact missionaries put on. And um, and and then after they left for the next four years, I just thought about how great it was going to be when I actually got to be involved with CCO on campus. So I picked a university, making sure there was CCO there, which was kind of kind of crazy at the time, like a little bit obsessed. But when I look back on it, I really see that I had this uh, desire for the joy of community that I've seen. And I am so glad that I made that decision because uh, being involved with CCO at Queens has been one of the the best parts of my life. What was it like being like that uber Catholic girl (laughs) at Queens? Yeah, like Uh, Queens is, uh, I, I would say Queens isn't it's not one of the most hostile environments as far mm. as universities go, but it is a secular university campus. So what was it like um, in your experience? Oh, uh, I think, you know, the Newman community at Queens is at the time it was it was a lot smaller than it is now, but it was so warm. And I re- my closest friends um, that I formed at Queens were through the Newman Center. So even even if there were ups and downs there, um I, I never really felt like great persecution or anything. I remember one um, in my third year, an article was posted uh, published in the school paper um, that was that was uh, kind of bashing Pope Benedict and misconstruing something he'd said. And so three of us got together and we stayed up. It took we weren't very articulate. It took us eight hours to construct a response, but it got published. And and it was you know we were upset about the article, but we were also excited to do something about it um so uh, yeah and and I had I I studied nursing and I had great friends also in the nursing program who were um you know at at best supportive at most sometimes interested in um in what I was doing at Newman's Newman House right on and now you're actually working as a nurse you're a full-time nurse at uh are you at KGH? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. So what's it like now that you're kind of in the world working um, in a secular hospital environment? How's the how's the transition from like university life um, into the working force? Mm-hmm. Uh, pros and cons. They're, it's maybe less fun a lot of the time. I really I really love nursing. Um, I love the skills that are involved and I like to help people. I think it's uh, nursing is equal parts for me. 
um, excitement and frustration. There are a lot. There's a lot to be frustrated about in the healthcare system and in in the working and working culture that I find myself in. Uh, but there, but there's also a lot of exciting things. There, are, uh, when we work well as a team in the in the healthcare world, things go well, and it's it can be really beautiful to see people recover or to see people have you know a happy death. Um, and you know, it definitely it's a secular culture. Uh, I found I worked at a community hospital when I lived in Halifax, and people were kind of um, faith was a bit more familiar it was kind of you know you would get people and you knew who the the minister was down the street like it was just a bit more um personal Mm -hmm. um but yeah I mean there are ethical issues that we deal with but for the most part I can um yeah I can I I feel like I can be well I yeah I can be honest about my faith in the workplace so in your article, uh, 75 Books, which we also reposted on the CCO blog, I changed the title a little bit, but um, basically it's the same article. You talked about your experience as a kid and you talk about the important role of reading in your family. So I just wanted to see if you'd tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up with books. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I I never I don't remember a time where there that, that I didn't read or wasn't read to. My parents read to us before bed until we were like nine or ten and encouraged us to to read on our own. There were books everywhere in our house. Um, and for Christmas and birthdays, we would often get books. And then I have three sisters who are close in age to me. And we would all um, exchange, you know, we would read, read our own book and then swap. Um, but I really see reading... The, or the kind of the reading culture in my family as one of two things that really uh, stand out as like what I really loved about our family. And it was reading so much reading and encouragement of um, to, like taking him good books. And then we always ate supper together. And those two things. Um, yeah, they really stand out to me as things that not all my friends had um, in their homes, but they just really like I love that about our family and I think it really helped us grow in knowing um what was good and how like what we wanted to be like. Yeah. Um so when you said when you said that you got a lot of books as gifts, were you the kind of kids who enjoyed getting books as gifts for Christmas or were you like, "Oh man, like a book, great. Like where's the toys?" Oh no, we all we all loved reading. Yeah, and uh, still do. Um I I remember actually the excitement of so Harry Potter came out when I was um, when I was kind of the age of Harry Potter. So I remember my in grade four, a classmate raving to me about this new book she'd read. And I didn't really I wasn't really into it. But then my sisters got the second and third books for Christmas that year. And then I re- like I remember the anticipation of one of those books coming out. And I don't think it's been matched by anything I, I've experienced. Like I... I, you know, there are movies I like and there are shows I like and I'm excited when they come out. But this was and like reading like when we would get these books and then we would share them four ways. Like when um, we'd get one copy and and uh, have to take turns. And when you got home from school, it'd be a race to that book. And I remember just feeling like like it was all fresh, you know, it was all like new material and it was so exciting. So, no, we we loved getting books and. I mean, there were books that I got as gifts that I didn't read right away or um, or maybe a couple that I never read. But generally, we were we were big readers. Re- books would definitely have been on our Christmas list. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I remember like the Harry Potter fever that you're talking about, but I was in university at that time. Okay. So for me, it was uh, it was kind of reading something that was intended for children. Um but it was just so exciting. One of my housemates, a good friend of mine from university, was like really into the Harry Potter stuff. So he would pass them on to me after he read them. And I, re- I just remember him anticipating like the next ones coming out. You know, it was like waiting for a new rock album or something. Yeah, we actually did something kind of mean to my... So my sister Annie was turning 12 in the summer and she had asked for... I think it was the fifth Harry Potter book that came out, fourth or fifth. And... She asked for it for her birthday, but my the other two um my sisters and I said to my mom, like, we can't wait. Her birthday's in August, the book's coming out in July. And so 
<laughs> this is a bit of deception, but she bought the book and let us read it beforehand. Wow. But we weren't allowed to let Annie see, obviously. So we would use other desk covers. And so all summer, Annie was like, why are they reading? Or for the week it took us to You'd read You'd sit in her presence <laughs> with a different desk yeah. cover on and the book. You know and what we used? It. Father Elijah and War and Peace. <laughs> Because they're big, so they're long books. So Annie wow. was like, "Why is why are they all so into War and Peace?" Anyway, we did confess it later. Oh, wow. so. You were like a teenager reading War and Peace. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. So when you um like when you left home mm-hmm. to go to university to come here, did you did you kind of keep this love of reading? Like, was that was that still there in the four years? when you were in undergrad or did it kind of come back after when you kind of had more time on your hands or did you, did you just read, keep reading? I, I definitely would have always called myself a reader and identically like, if people said, well, what do you like to do? I would have said read. I doubt I did not read very much for pleasure during uh, the school term. I, I still read a lot in the summer mm-hmm. and I brought a couple books with, like I brought, you know, probably 20 of my, of my favorite books, <laughs> 20 <laughs> books I liked with me. Um, and sometimes, you know, if studying was driving me crazy, I would I would pick up one of my Good old books. favorites and yeah. and read a bit of it. Uh, but definitely, my reading would have decreased in the four years of university, and even a couple for a couple years afterward. Yeah. Um, mainly <laughs> because of the advent of, you know, whatever you want on the internet at any time. Yeah. So let's talk about that because that's um, that would be something that distracts many people from reading right now. Um, you know, they would they would want to read, and I I'm guilty of this myself. Like I have books on my list I want to read, and I don't have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of spare time in my life to actually read. Right. But when you know the baby is finally asleep and the dishes are done, it's so easy to just pick up my phone and scroll through Facebook. Yeah. Instead of picking up my Kindle even and reading. Right. Or take sitting down with a good book. Yeah. And, you know, paging through it, which I and I love that experience, but it's it takes more energy. Right? It does, and it's so. so- yeah. It's so funny because I, anytime that I do those two activities, like if I, you know, intend to sit down and read and I spend 20 minutes first scrolling. Yeah. After five minutes of scrolling and you've like, you know, gotten all your, your red, red notifications gone away and the exciting part is gone. I would, I will not feel fulfilled after that. Yeah. But for some reason it's, I think it's the path of least resistance. You know, it's. It's right there and it's habit. Um, but I, yeah, after I graduated, I I did read. I didn't keep track for the first couple of years of what I was reading. So I don't know how much it decreased. But I know that I watched a lot of television yeah. on my computer. Yeah, Netflix. And, and, uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with television in moderation. But at the end of the day... It I know it doesn't make me grow as much as reading does. Mm. Um, it's it's not even as I I end up watching a show and being on my phone. Really? Yes, which is so sad, and and that's why I actually haven't turned like split to, like split mind. Like yeah, you're like one yeah. of your eyes is watching the show, and one of your eyes is yeah. On it's like neither is enough. Yeah, you're um, multitasking entertainment. But it's but it's yeah not yeah not. <laughs> Not a good kind of multitasking. And that's one of the reasons I have not been into audiobooks is that I'm afraid. I mean, it would be one thing if I listen to an audiobook in the car or while I'm doing chores, but I don't want to be listening to an audiobook and scrolling. The The good thing about I love the feel of books and 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 using my eyes in that way. But um, but it also means I have to have I have to be singularly focused. I even I listen to music all the time. But when I'm reading a good book, I try to turn the music off just so I can kind of, you know, retrain my mind to just be satisfied with with one thing in front of me. Yeah, there's um, I, I know there's uh, like a proliferation of audiobooks, mm-hmm. um, And I know people now even question like, you know, what what's the point of like the conventional book? Like, can I just get the same information from YouTube? I can listen to an audio book. Um, you know, is Kindle better than a book or books better right. than a Kindle, whatever. Um, and I think that there's like, it's, it's one thing to consume information, right? Even if you're yeah. consuming good information through your ears, through an audiobook, that's fine, but it's a different experience than sitting down with a paper book. Or if you're consuming the same book through a Kindle, which I read a Kindle all the time, it's different to actually sit down with a paper book 
and flip through the pages and like hear the crack of the sound yeah. and to know you're totally disconnected from other sources of information. Like to me, that's really a, a special experience. Is that um, like, would you share that kind of love of the experience of the conventional book? Why is it oh. that you, <laughs> well, first of all, how did you eventually get away? Like what kind of effort did you have to exert to get away from the technology and to just sit down and read 75 books we'll mm. talk more about your goal in a second but yeah that the experience of moving that experience of moving away like deciding to let go to disconnect and to actually sit down yeah i think i saw that you know endless scrolling wasn't making me happy also there were there are a ton of books i wanted to read um and i wasn't reading them uh, but so, so things I did specifically was make it more of a, be more motivated in that I recorded the books I read because there is the adrenaline rush you get from that notification. I also get it from writing down a book I just finished, which could be, uh, it could have been detrimental in that I will, I am, that I wouldn't really read. I would just kind of, you know, breeze through these books, but that didn't actually happen. Um, but then this year, when I was really pushing to read more and to, and kind of some at some point during the year, I I decided I wanted to spend more time reading than scrolling. Um, that, that was like, kind of like the, the thought the in your head. Line. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and so and it wasn't just because of that. I was finding I was wasting a lot of time on the computer, and it, there's so much. There's lots of good on the internet, but there's a lot of of material that I would read and maybe it would be entertaining or interesting for a minute, but that is, it's not going to have any effect on my life. And especially the, the arguments on the internet, um, that is not going to change me. It's going to drain me. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that's the case for everyone. And I know that, you know, conversions have happened because of online discussion, but that's not my style. It's not gonna, it's not, I wasn't using my time like that. Yeah. So I actually gave up my computer a few different times. I think I started in July or August and I would I would need it back for different things for work, but I would give it to my sister and uh and like in November I didn't have my computer and I read like 10 or 11 books. Yeah. Which I didn't I would not have said that was possible. Yeah. You know, and but it it makes such a difference when now like I preface to say that I have a lot of free time with the the work I do and the obligations that I don't have, I do, you know, I'm single, I don't have kids. Um, I, I do some volunteering and I, but, but a lot of my day sure. is my own. Yeah. Um, it means that I can go and, you know, sit at a coffee shop and read for a couple hours and, and feel that that's time well spent. And I think it is for me yeah. right in this, in this season of my life. Um, and I'm also a fast reader and that I don't like, yeah, I, I I read faster than a lot of people. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm not super fast, but I definitely, I yeah, I think I don't know why. I maybe it's like I've been reading for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> and I and I'm sanguine, <laughs> so I just want to get to what's next. <laughs> but well, but talk I, about that. I do want to ask you about the actual experience of reading, and uh, <laughs> one of the things I'm really interested in is the difference between deep and broad reading. Um, okay. So like deep reading, you know, reading something really well mm -hmm. versus broad reading, reading a lot of things. Both are yeah. necessary, yeah. but there's a difference. Um, it's something that I actually, it came up in my previous episodes with Eric Bateman. R right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I listen to that. We'll talk about that later a little bit maybe, but let's just go back to the goal. So okay. So first, let's just kind of set the scene here. So you, you love reading. You've grown up with reading. It's something you love. You have an intrinsic desire to read certain books. You've got a growing list of books, but you're experiencing what everybody's experiencing, this kind of addiction to technology, scrolling through Facebook, whatever. Yeah. Um, so you make the decision, I actually want to, I want to disconnect from these things. I want to make that trade off. And instead I want to read the books that I want to love, that I love, that right. I want to read. Um, so how did you come up with the goal of 75 books? You did it, you explained this in your article a bit, but maybe elaborate. Sure. So that. the goal was, the original goal was actually 52 books. I, I, um, the year previous, so 2016, I decided to start writing down the books I read and I don't really know my rationale for it. I think, I think I was, oh yes, I do. Sorry. So I, I've, for years I've made reading lists and I always, make li very little progress on them mm -hmm. uh they're usually very challenging 
and books that I might not be especially excited about, but I think I ought to read. Yeah. They're important. Middlemarch, you know. Um, not that, and I think I'm hoping that someday I read those books, but, but when you have 20 of those books, for me, it wasn't successful. And then my brother-in-law was keeping track of the books he was reading. He had, he had done an online series that was called like how to read more books or something. And he was telling me some of the things about it. And he said he was keeping track of the books he read, the page numbers, you know, so he could see how many pages he read a day. And I was intrigued by that. And I was also a bit competitive. Um, <laughs> so I thought I'm going to start writing them down the books I read, but just the books I read. Not I'm not going to count pages. I'm just, I'll re you know, the book and the author. And in 2016, I read 45 books without really trying. Mm -hmm. Now, 20 of those were rereads, yeah. um, which I'm I'm highly in favor of rereading. Yeah. At the time, I felt guilty because of it, but now I don't. Um, and so I thought, okay, why why? For, let's just stay there for a second. Yeah. Why would you feel guilty about rereading? Well, I think because it's easy because, and honestly, some of the books I've, I reread, I've reread probably 20 times because okay. I've been rereading them since I've been, sorry, I've been reading them since I was 14 or 15. I still love them. So I read them again. Um, but I thought, you know, there's so many books I haven't read. And when I actually you know would get overwhelmed in a bookstore thinking there's there's so much I need to read or yeah. if someone brought up a book they'd read and you know a book you know have you read you know in Jane Eyre when they say this and I say oh I haven't read Jane Eyre and that's I'm you know gasp like yeah. <laughs> like how um yeah you yeah, want to have things to say at you call party. yourself educated <laughs> <Yeah>. um, so <laughs> you haven't read the great Gatsby yeah or? I did read that but <laughs> How many times? <laughs> Just once. I wasn't a huge fan, actually. Yeah, no, um, but I, so 2016, 45 books. So I thought this year I'm going to make a goal. And I'm notoriously bad at keeping goals. I set them all the time, mm -hmm. but I rarely keep them. But I thought 45 without trying, let's try for a book a week. Yeah. It seems reasonable. Um, and the funny thing is, so I was recording them in this notebook, the 2016 books, and I, I Instagrammed. <laughs> a page of it to say how much I had read and then I lost the book no. <laughs> so I think it was a bit of was a I was bragging a lot <laughs> about how much I'd read and I still bragged this year I haven't oh. lost the book I'm guarding it closely now but anyway so so I decided 52 bucks and then throughout the year I kind of kept track so every so often I would is that your book right there yeah that's your like record book yeah oh Claire has the book right <laughs> it's here. right here this yeah is it's, the new one. it's a um, moleskin that I started writing upside down in because wow. again I'm sanguine <laughs> so I or oh, actually yeah, probably more because I'm a big picture person um but I I some I think in March I was ahead of my goal by about 10 percent. And my little sister said to me, and my sister, she's 15 and she's a voracious reader. She's a great reader. She said, um, well, then you should beat your goal by 10%. She said, don't uh, like, don't, don't, don't think, oh, now I can, you know, watch more TV. Like, yeah. this is good. You're enjoying it. And so in September, I met my goal of 52 bucks and, uh, and things only went up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I like November, September and November, I think were my best months. Um, with with a bunch of like nine to eleven books in each, I think. Um, so yeah, I was really excited and really excited that I read most of the books I read. I liked, um, and I all of them I could tell you about. There's not one. But there are books that I would like to reread because I think every time I reread, yeah. you get more out of it. And I still find that with books I'm reading for the twentieth time. But a couple of books like Brideshead Revisited or a couple of Graham Greene books that I read definitely were um, there were there were things that I know I missed. But it wasn't because I was rushing. It was because there was a lot, yeah. I think. OK, we'll come to the actual books in just a minute. But before we do that, just tell us like how you did it. So, I mean, for me, you know, I, I'm happy if I can read a book a month. That's that's kind of what I budget for myself. Um, I'm sure some of our listeners would read even less than that. Um, but I think for all of us, we wish we could read more. So you mentioned already, you know, you read quick. Um, you have lots of time on your hands. Um, but what is in terms of like the will, you know, the effort that it requires? How did you actually do it? What's your what's your strategy? 
Hmm. I think I think giving up technology to some degree made a big impact and that I mean I still I still know I wasted I could have I could have probably read 100 books honestly if I'd scrolled a lot less um which says a lot about you know how much time we spend doing those things but um I think I always had books that I was excited about available and I always had a book with me so if I was waiting for an appointment um or if I had, you know, occasional on, occasionally on night shifts, we'll have, you know, some downtime. Um, and I, I made sure I always had a book with me. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in the, in the summer, I, I have a rooftop patio. I would go up without my phone yeah. and read. And I find I'm even faster at reading when I don't have my phone with me. Because even when I read... When I'm reading and I'm enjoying it, it's almost a habit every 10 minutes. Just, oh, anything happening in the last 10 minutes? Because, you know, I'm a celebrity, so I probably have lots of stuff coming in. Um, (laughs) There's always, there's always something new. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, but I, like, I really don't, I I guess it shows just how much time I have that I, I read 75 books because there were only a couple of times that I stayed up late to the detriment of my next day. Yeah. Just to read. Yeah. You know, if I have a day off the next day and I'm really into a book, I'll read until 2 a.m. No problem. But if I'm working the next day, I try to be asleep by 10. And a couple times I stayed up till like 1130 finishing a book because I was really into it. But yeah, I I guess just on my days off, I would, um, you know, do my chores, do whatever I need to do. And then go to a coffee shop or go outside with with letters to write, like with stationery and a book and or a notebook and um and go back and forth you would write like writing letters to friends family yeah yeah that was another of my goals last year to write a letter a week yeah um so I'd write that I also I try to write I kind of write essays I've tried fiction I don't think I don't think it's my thing Mm -hmm. or that I'm good at it but I always whenever I go and I intend to write something or write an article for something I read first because I think if I first, you know, get some inspiration from a good writer, then maybe I'll I'll write a little better. Alan Jacobs talks about this uh, in The Pleasures of Reading, the relationship between reading and writing. Yeah. Um, I think in his mind that they're kind of like intimately connected. Like if you're a reader, eventually you're going to be a writer. Yeah. Like you're going to want to respond yeah, and in writing to the to what you're reading. It's funny. Two things strike me about that. First, I read something. I read a quotation that said, "Read more, write better." And so I, I kind of, in the years that I've tried to write more, I've thought, okay, I have to be reading because I don't really like my writing most of the time. And so I feel like a good way to get better is to read people I like and and tr- see what they do. And the other thing is, in my three favorite, my three favorite fiction authors their protagonists are all writers which is kind of interesting they write about what they love and what they know right who's that so lucy von montgomery and shirley is a writer uh louise may alcott josephine march is a writer mm-hmm. and then madeline langle um she has a, a character named vicky austin in one of her series and she writes poetry and writes so your favorite characters in fiction are like are writers. They're readers and writers. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're people you aspire to be. Yeah, like. and but it's funny because if I ever wrote fiction, I think I don't think I would make my protagonist a writer. I'd probably make them a nurse or yeah. you know a sister <laughs> or something, um, because those are the things I know yeah. more than writing. Last year you were going for volume. You wanted to read seventy five books. Did that in any way affect the um, the depth of your reading? I think it probably did to some level, but honestly, I would say this year was my best year of reading, not just because of the volume, but because of how I read. I feel like any book on the list that I read, I could tell you about, probably in some detail. I could tell you about my favorite parts um, and talk about the character of the of the writing style. Um, and in there are many books I've read that... I can I read because I wanted to say I could read I read them the first time I read Pride and Prejudice I think I was 15 or 16 and I'd watched the movies the miniseries so I I knew the story but I can honestly tell you like when I finished that book I couldn't have told you much about it 
Uh, but this year, I I really didn't do that. I I wanted to to know what I was reading. Also, I'm I'm pretty picky <laughs> with what I read, partly because I think there are so many books out there. Why read something you don't like? It's sometimes in my detriment though, because I assume I won't like something and. My sisters have tried to get me reading different books and I've been like, ah, I don't like the cover or whatever, some stupid reason. Um, when I'm sure I, you know, I love my sisters and we like the same things often, so I'm sure I would like them. But because I'm I'm pretty selective, usually I'm reading books that I'm pretty sure I'm going to be into. Um, so so it was easier for me to to really read well. And I feel like I did read well. Did you build your list ahead of time or did you just kind of go by whim? No, like, I, I went one, by I'm whim. Gonna, and yeah. and that was now there were definitely books that I wanted to read. Kind of what my system is, is that I so above my bed, I have shelves built into my headboard. Yeah. And I have I've out out bought my my bookshelves in my <laughs> living room by a lot. Yeah. Um, my poor roommate. <laughs> We have a lot of books everywhere. But for books that I'm excited to read, that I want to read next, I put them in um, the shelves above my bed. And I kind of have like a system. So I have like books on the go, books that I want to read next, books that I should read next and on onward. Um, so I never made a list. But if if I there was a book that I was I thought I want to read this in the next few months, it yeah. would go there. Um yeah. And it doesn't mean that I don't read like I didn't read books that weren't in that yeah. in that shelf. But but that's what I generally did. And then this year I got onto a real kick of um, when I, as soon as I got excited about a book, I would buy it, yeah. which isn't always a Amazon good thing. Prime, one click buy. <laughs> I know. Click. I know. It's so dangerous. So in October, I cut myself off. Mm. But then I I came upon a little bit of a, a chapter's fortune. And so I... Somebody felt, gave you a gift card? Or well, what? I, yeah, I won a gift card. Oh, what? And, and the fate. <laughs> so I know. And it was for writing. Oh, my So God. I felt totally justified in buying 11 books. And I had... And I never knew until this year about your, like, Amazon wish list. But now that's been good because... So you can set up a wish list where if there's a book you want to buy in the future you can like add it to your wish list oh, that's dangerous but it's good because then when i think oh if someone asks me what do you want for christmas then i have this like pre-ready list oh, except when i won this gift card and then i just bought them just all except i couldn't book bananas but a lot of them so so wow. i have a lot of books and i had a priest friend um a priest who was at my family's parish growing up and he said he made him a rule for himself that he would wouldn't buy a book unless he'd read every book in his house, which wow. would mean probably that I wouldn't read for the next or wouldn't buy books for the next yeah. two years. Yeah, that's a dangerous one. I know um, At least. Brandon Vaught, one of my reading heroes. Yeah. You know, he talks about building your library. Yeah. You know, you have to build a library. You shouldn't feel bad if you have books on your shelf you haven't read because when the whim strikes, you'll read that right. book, right? And Absolutely. I know I know I have books at home. I go back and I think, man, I bought that book 10 years ago and I'm just waiting for the right the right spirit to overcome yeah. me because I want to read that book, but not right now. Right, you exactly. Know? Pride and Prejudice is one of them. Yeah. It's like, I want to read that at some point, but not right now. The Brothers Karamazov, you know, it's sitting there. It's like, that's pretty thick. I don't know if I can handle that, but someday it's going to be. Yeah. And I really love that in Alan Jacobs book, how he said, you know, I, it was some guy, I think, who had been, per, they suggested he read Kim by Rudyard Kipling oh, yeah. when he was like 12 and he didn't. Yeah. And when he read it when he was 20, it was his favorite book. Sure. And that has totally changed me because there are books that for the past five years I've thought, oh, I should be reading this. And then I read them this year, and I think if I'd read that when I was sixteen, yeah. I would have totally gla glazed over the whole thing. Totally. But reading it now, and you'd have I'm a bad taste in your mouth, and maybe yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that strikes me looking at your list, so we're going to talk about the actual books themselves sure. here. So one of the things that struck me right away is that in building your list, it wasn't like seventy-five, um, like ultimate must-read books of classic literature. You had a mix of um, books like that, you know, as far as Catholic classics, you had Graham Greene and Brideshead Revisited by Evelyn Waugh. Um, you had some theology, you had the Lord of the Rings series mm. on there, but then you also had all these books by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Right. <laughs> um, and I even saw some books I didn't know, so I checked them and they were like children's books, like yeah. other kind of youth-oriented youth <laughs> fiction, right? Yeah. So you're, I could tell that you weren't, um, you weren't aspiring to kind of this like um, 
this reading that was like really challenging, really heady, um, like masterpieces of literature. It was mixed with just kind of easier, if you want to say, pleasure reading. Yeah. So was that an intentional decision at the beginning in terms of your strategy? Or was that just kind of your whim playing out? Like, I want to read another Anna Green Gables book. Right. right. Uh, you read 16 Anna Green Gables <laughs> no, books. No, they're not all Anna Green Gables no? books, okay. Dan. Okay. <laughs> I don't all know. Lucy Mon okay. Montgomery I don't books. Know her, I don't know her canon, but I was like, LM, LM. I know. Oh, she's my favorite. Day. I can't yeah. wait to meet her in heaven. Um, so I I think I knew going in that if I made a list like I had in the past where it's 20 classics, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, and so I did read a lot on, on whim. Um, and that, yeah, I was kind of on a kick for a while where I read um, The Little Princess, The Secret Garden, Pollyanna. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think some of those books I'd read when I was a kid. But honestly, my favorite... One of my favorite things about reading is um, seeing like virtue played out and heroism played out in store, like in mm -hmm. a story. It really inspires me. It really makes me want to be a better person and to grow in virtue. Um, stories captivate me and like I love telling stories and I love hearing stories. And and so those books have great like moral fiber. They they teach good lessons. They show a lot of love. Um and and so they're like they're great they like Pollyanna man like it made mm. me cry and and it made me like the next day at work think okay like how can I be brighter today um so you know I it's not um I don't know Jane Eyre or whatever um Tolstoy but but I think they teach me important things um and as for Lucy Mon Montgomery um I read her, her like the Anne of Green Gables series when I was a kid and then it was actually Anna your wife who kept bringing up stories from the series when mm. I was in undergrad and I I wasn't remembering a lot of them I remember I remember the first and second book I had reread many times but after that I hadn't and there was even the fourth book I'd skipped because I mm. thought it was boring. <laughs> Not so. <laughs> um, so she kept bringing up stories, like beautiful stories about like from the books. And so after my third year, I I read the the series that summer. And honestly, it was probably the most transformative reading experience really? of my life. It is like it was like spiritual reading, huh. like Anne Shirley is my hero. She she has taught like to the point where at work a few times like sometimes I'll think like what would Anne do in wow. this circumstance. There was a day I remember I always knew it was fiction, but there was a day I remember clearly thinking Anne is not a real person. And <laughs> I will never meet her, and I was so sad. But those books are wow. like they're like the balm of my soul. Like when I have a bad day. Last five chapters of the third book. Like yeah. I totally. Why? What is what's in the last five chapters? Of oh, the third well, I book? can't give give a lot away because if you haven't read them, you have to read them. But um, Anne kind of has messed up. And and throughout the book, one of my favorite things is that she's flawed. Like she but she is so um, she sees sin as as it should be seen as something to avoid, but not something to obsess over. She mm -hmm. does not obsess over her faults. She she recognizes that they're bad. She repents, but then she moves on. And and she works to build, like to love people better. And oh, she's so good. So <laughs> the end of the third book, she she messes up in a big way. And um and her friends who really look up to her, like everyone looks up to her. She's ex like, she's an exemplary person. They kind of like tell her off. They're like, you shouldn't have done this. She treated, she, yeah, she, anyway, I won't give it away, but um, her friend kind of tells her off and, and then she goes home. She'd been at university. She went, goes home and there's this kind of like redemption and it is just amazing and it talks about she keeps kind of vigil overnight because she gets this news and she has a realization and she stays up all night and then there's this beautiful line where she says um or the author says uh and remembered like an uh very an old a line from a very good very old very true book that says um weeping comes through the night but joy what is it joy we comes in the morning joy comes yeah. in the morning and just gets me every time <laughs> so it's yeah those books are beautiful. So I, in the last couple of years, I've realized that 
you know, Lucy Maud Montgomery has all this fiction mm -hmm. and some of them I'd read when I was young, but I hadn't read them all. And a lot of them were going out of print. So I was mm. panicking. So I've, I actually have the last of her fiction, like her novels. She has some short story compilations that I haven't read yet. But the last of her novels I have on my bookshelf ready to go. Pat, uh, Mistress Pat. <laughs> um, but but her books, I mean, Anne, Anne, the Anne series are definitely my favorites. But all her books have kind of this classic, like, beautiful stories. Yeah. And, yeah, I love the way she writes. She's very funny. And, yeah. and she lived, Lucy Montgomery had a very sad life. So it also, in, like, encourages me, inspires me that, you know, she, from, like, from great hardship and and uh, probably desperation at times, she created this beautiful yeah. thing that has like led my heart to heaven and and I'm sure others. I think most of the books that you read last year were fiction, but there were also a number of others um, on your list that that are nonfiction. Uh, you read Rich Dad Poor Dad, yeah. <laughs> The Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, maybe or actually another one that I noticed was The Sky. Uh, or, or house, the in, house the, in the sky by or star house in the it? sky yeah house in the sky by amanda lindow yeah how did you come across those books like what was the yeah. how did you discover those i think you know i'm i am even though i i love kind of like classic old fiction and and um and you know spiritual reading i am very aware like i spend a lot of time at bookstores um just wandering and my family reads a lot and reads a lot of nonfiction. so these books kind of you know i hear their names um rich dad poor dad my friend uh my friend gave it to me and it it was great but it was really stressed me out and convinced me that i will never be rich <laughs> which is fine <laughs> but but it was a good read and then um uh, the outliers. My family is are my family loves Malcolm Gladwell, mm -hmm. and I, you know, he's Canadian. He talks about interesting things. I like that his for nonfiction. I really uh, appreciate when there are lots of stories because that captures my mm -hmm. attention more than just you know dialogue. Um, and actually, in the hospital setting, uh, they bring up like in my training in critical care, they brought up like every, every speaker brought up Malcolm Gladwell really? and lessons we can learn from him because he wrote this book blink and it's about split second decision-making, oh. which is really important in healthcare. Oh. Um, and I, you know, I think, I think, you know, building our kind of natural gifts is really important. Um, so I do read, I do like read medical nonfiction too, that I really enjoy. Um, and then what was the other, Oh, house in the sky. So that was, when I got this gift card, I went to the bookstore and most of the books that I want to buy are not available in bookstores. So I have to order them online, but it really takes the fun out of going to the bookstore and picking <laughs> books and getting to bring them home with you. That's all the religious books. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, even like old, like I was looking for some Flannery O'Connor. They had like one yeah. and, um, so. Which, which were you, which Flannery O'Connor were you looking for? Uh, the Violent Barrett Away. Okay. Which I think I had to order online, I think. Yeah. Yeah, they had like her, all her books. But I, I also don't like, um, they had all her books in like one volume, oh, which I don't oh, like big like books because they're hard to read in bed. That's like, I love the Kindle. Like my Kindle, I have like the complete works of C.S. Lewis <laughs> yeah. for $1.99. Yeah, right? exactly. This would be like, uh, like yeah. probably two feet high. Yeah, and those book. books sometimes look so cool, but I never will buy them for myself because... You I can't like read them in bed. Yeah, you can't or just carry like, them to the coffee shop. Yeah, or you can. But well, actually, I'm reading a book right now that's heavy. Witness to Hope. Oh yeah. But you can't read it in oh. bed. Like it's in eight nine hundred pages. It's, See, wit get, like, Witness to Hope. I I was given that as a gift, mm -hmm. but I also bought it on my Kindle so oh. that when I was at home, I could sit and read it on my couch. Yeah. Or at a table. Uh, but I could carry it around with me that's, too. Yeah, that's yeah. smart. I'm I'm still not into, not um, into Kindle. Kindle, but I'm you know I'm not against it for other people. But yeah. <laughs> um, but oh, so House in the Sky was kind of I was at Chapters and um, it was on the bestsellers table. I looked at the back and it kind of like she's Canadian and she had a like a very exciting kind of so she was in she was taken hostage in Somalia she was working as like a photo journalist this girl and the book was actually amazing it was one of these books that I read in 24 hours mm -hmm. it um really captured it's a very like fast moving she writes very well it's like a story um and actually a book 
that reminded it reminded me of this book I read last year in December called Little Princes. It's another true story. Amazing. Really, I highly recommend it about this guy who volunteered in an orphanage in Nepal. My sister and brother-in-law lent it to me. And the next day I went back over and I like left the book. And my brother-in-law said, like, did you not like it? And I said, oh, no, I, f- I finished done. it. Wow. <laughs> because when you when I get on something, I really like it. Yeah. But yeah, so Amanda Lindout's book, um, it was it was yeah it was very like captivating and it was a hard to read parts of it but um she really described the um the humanity of her Mm -hmm. captors i was talking about that in my blog um which i thought like it would be so easy to just hate you know and to just and i mean i'm sure she had moments like that but it was it was good so i i try to um to read a variety again i'm picky i'm not gonna read things that i don't think are gonna um i mean i read for pleasure for sure but if there's a book that i'm not gonna like or i is just gonna be kind of i'm not different at the end yeah um i probably won't won't read it unless it's been given to me (laughs) and then i will (laughs) you read 75 books last year you in your blog you mentioned certain favorites yeah tell us your three favorite books if you had to choose three. Oh, so hard okay can i just say i'm gonna do my three favorites of my new reads okay because sure. my rereads i always read They're my your favorite classic favorites yeah um okay oh so hard she's consulting her notes right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay for one book that I, it's so hard. I hate committing. Um, but okay. <laughs> There's a book <laughs> called We Keep a Light. And it was probably my favorite, favorite read of the year, almost because it it like jumped out at me at the bookstore. It was like it was meant to be. Like the book um, cover or the Yeah. So I, I was in this used bookstore that I love and it's just like floor to ceiling, piles of books. No, it's ordered in some way, but not a whole lot. And I was in like the Atlantic Canada section, which I am a little bit anti-Canadian fiction. Not totally. Like, obviously, I read Canadian fiction. But I just find if I don't know, I find there's usually, like, it's usually depressing. But so I'm in the Atlantic Canada section, like, just, bre- like, breezing through. Actually, I think I was looking for a book on the Vanniers. And because it was, like, next to the Canadian section. Anyway, and I just saw on in this milk carton on the ground, there's this book, and boring cover. It was just blue and white. Not a very good, like, gra- it was old. And it said, we keep a light. And I just picked it up. And I read the back, and it was about this f- true story about a family who bought an island off uh, the coast of um, Nova Scotia. And they were the the lighthouse keepers and it talks about their years um, like moving a young family there they were totally isolated they had a rowboat to get to the mainland all their supplies were based on like the you know the weather being good someone had to be manning the lighthouse at all the time at all times and it wasn't you know it wasn't like super exciting nothing crazy happened but it just captivated me she told the story so well um and I loved it. I was just like, I, I burned through it. <laughs> do, you, do you remember the author's yeah, name? Yeah, E.M. Richardson. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that one was really cool because it totally, like it was such a fluke that yeah. I picked it up. Yeah. For for f- fiction that I liked, uh, probably the my favorite one that I read for the first time was The Power and the Glory. I It was the third Graham Greene book I read ever and this year and the first two were lesser known um and i liked them but his books are not not page turners um but he writes beautifully but they're also very like depressing and the characters are extremely flawed but then at the end there's usually like redemption um and the power and the glory just it was it was really it was really great it talks about um or the story is of it's it's set in Mexico when Catholics are being persecuted. There's, you know, if you were a priest, you're going to be executed if you were found. And this very, like, bad priest, like, he's, um, you know, he kind of had used his his uh, status as a priest to kind of, like, have riches. And and anyway, he's on the run. And, and it just tells his story. And it, it was really cool. I loved it. Um... And then, and then probably Fulton Sheen, 
it would be a tie between Life of Christ and uh, The World's First mm. Love. I never, you know, I heard people rave about Fulton Sheen all the time and I, I, sometimes I just like assume things <laughs> <laughs> all the time and I just assumed I wouldn't like him. I think I heard his voice once and I was like, oh, it's kind of twangy. Um, and... So anyway, my spiritual director... Don't, don't judge an author by the sound of his voice. Yeah, it's true. Or like Father Jacques Philippe. Mm. I read one of his books once. It was good. I felt like I wasn't holy enough for it. But I thought I was convinced he was dead. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then someone then told he me... He he's coming to town. Yeah, he's coming oh. to Toronto. I was like, what? And my friend was like, yeah, he's like still releasing still books. I was like, oh, I thought they were all old. Just new, newly printed. Anyway, um, Fulton Sheen, I... I read another gospel narrative years ago and it was it was good, but it was kind of like slow moving. And I thought this would be the same. Mm -hmm. And Life of Christ is poetry. Yeah. It it showed me that nothing in the gospels, nothing in scripture um, is like insignificant. Every line means something. Nothing is like out of place, you know, like everything can can show us some aspect of God. And it was just amazing. And then um, The World's First Love, where he talks about Mary, was the same. It was so beautiful. And he talks about, um, like, Mary in terms of different things going on in the world today. And it was very captivating. So those would be my my top top. Those are your rec Though it's very hard for me to keep. And Anne's House of not, Dreams wins the lifetime. That, so that's, which one is it? Anne's House of Dreams? Yeah. That's your fifth, lifetime favorite? I think so, yeah. The reigning champ? Okay. Yeah. Maybe something you read this year will dethrone that one. I don't think, think so, but. <laughs> so <laughs> what is your, what is your goal for 2018? What are some of the books that you're hoping to read? Yeah, I haven't set a number goal. I, I hope to continue on the same kind of a trajectory reading more and reading well um but it'll it'll depend i haven't set a number goal i think i'm i'm in a good place right now where i'm motivated to keep reading i have a lot of books i want to read um but some of those might be longer so it might not be that i read 75 books and that's okay um a couple that i'm excited about um witness to hope by uh, george weigel's biography of uh john paul ii and I was always turned off that book because of its length. Mm. And then my spiritual director got me to read a little passage a few months ago. And he said he'd, he'd read that book in three days. Wow. Kind of like hold himself up and read it. And I was like, okay. And I love, I, I mean, Pope John Paul's life is amazing. So I'm excited for that, uh, to get into that. Um, and then uh, Blessed Colonel Newman has... I haven't read I haven't read any books by him, but he he wrote this book called Loss and Gain, and it's fiction and tells like a conversion story, and it's apparently kind of based on his story. So I got that. I'm excited. And then my friend, um, a friend of mine, Natalie Morrill, her first book is coming out in May, and I've pre-ordered it. It's called The Ghost Keeper, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. And then okay, so Sigrid Unset, she's one of these other like you know, Catholic fiction. Mm -hmm. And and by saying Catholic fiction, don't think that, you know, it's, they're books that you can tell, if you're, if you're Catholic, you can tell that, that the author is Catholic too. But I think they're widely, they're very human. They're like George, or um, Evelyn Waugh and Graham Greene and Flynn, well, I haven't read Flannery O'Connor yet, but she's on the list for this year. Um, I think they're widely accessible even and it's it's kind of like neat for Catholics because you're going to be able to pick out a lot of symbolism yeah. um, that's beautiful. But Sigrid Unset is kind of the like Slavic or what is that? Um, is she Norwegian or something? Some, yeah, She's Norwegian. Like Scandinavian, I think. Yeah, I think. Scandinavian. Is yeah, Scandinavian. Yeah, this is what I what I meant to say. Um, version of of <laughs> of those. Um, and she's read or she's written a bunch, but I'm I've started reading Kristen Lavren's daughter. It's this trilogy mm. she has that my friends have raved about. I I finished the first of the three and I am not convinced. Not it? It's yeah. sad and weird. But anyway, I'm I, I do believe maybe, maybe that you need a better translation. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe I should read it in the original. Um maybe I should teach myself. To read in Norwegian. Norwegian and then um 
but I'm I'm hopeful that there'll be redemption. And the people mm. I know who have raved about her to me yeah. are people I is, trust. Is my wife one of those people? Well, she's like <laughs> she, uncertain. She said yeah. she's like she likes her, but not as much as some other people. Yeah. But um, another friend of ours who like I love, who she's very well read, and I trust her. Uh, she like loves her. So I believe there must be there must be goodness coming, and there is goodness in the book. It just was kind of bizarre. Sure. And sad. When when we posted your blog on our um, on the CCO Reads blog, somebody commented and asked a question about reading. And this young woman basically said that she she doesn't understand what the purpose of reading is if she can't apply the concepts right away. Yeah. Our tagline at CCO Reads is "Live the books you love." Right. So it's an exhortation not just to love books, but to actually um, to put them to good use. Uh, what does that mean to you? Hmm. I I think I've made an effort in my adult life to take in things that uh, will lead me to good, like to goodness. Um, I think things lead us to God or away from God. Um, and so I try to choose things that lead me to God. And I think it's not always overt. Like I read for pleasure. I love I love reading stories like it. It engages my imagination I enjoy it it's like it's exciting for me um at the end of when I'm reading I don't always sit and think like now how am I going to put this to use tomorrow but I think naturally I am affected by what I read and like I was talking about reading Anne of Green Gables every time I read those books something new stands out to me and I, tr- I I want to be better because of what I've read. Um, you know, in with nonfiction, it can be more practical, like money management or how you spend your time or how I, I think in the hospital. Um, and for spiritual reading, you know, sometimes you'll see the example of a saint or you'll hear a new uh, narrative of the gospel that brings something alive in your heart and, and you can know, okay, now I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but for fiction, um, I think really it it boils down to like the the hero, you know, like the the fight between good and evil, and that like it's so I love the the drama of good and evil in fiction, and um, there's a quotation by I think it's G.K. Chesterton, and I'm sure it's always like misquoted. I don't know what the original is, or maybe it maybe it's C.S. Lewis. Lewis. It's C.S. Lewis. Um, you know what I'm gonna say? I, I don't. Believe. We're always misquoting both of them. Both of them. It's probably but... it was probably Fulton Sheen. Whatever it is you're about to say, it was probably Fulton Sheen. It's gonna get cut. So. But he says something like, you know, a, a child or a baby doesn't. Um, no, always has known that there's a dragon what he needs is a saint george to fight that dragon um and that's that's d- d- not a direct quote but i think um you know there's there's opportunity in the world for mm. greatness and for fighting um against evil in big and small ways and for and for you know goodness which is like promoting what is good and beautiful and true and I see that, like, I'm inspired by the the fiction I read when it's good fiction to do that. I want to be more virtuous. I want to, like, I want people to see what is beautiful so that, that the world can be closer to the heart of Jesus. So practically one way that I do that often is I, and my sister did this when she was young, and I kind of learned from her, is if I read something that really captivates me, um, like a passage, I write it down. And so yeah. I have this book of quotations. It's like probably my most prized possession. Yeah. And it um and it's like a huge array of like funny and beautiful and encouraging and heroic uh quotations. And I read it often and just think, okay, how am I how am I gonna do good today? Claire, thank you so much for coming to speak today on the CCO Reads podcast. Thanks, Dan. I'm so pumped up right now. Right on. <laughs> Thank you. That was fun. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed the show, we'd be grateful if you'd like, comment, and share on social media. To find out more about CCO Reads, you can visit our blog, ccoreads.wordpress.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Live the Books You Love. 
If you'd like to hear other episodes of the CCO Reads podcast, you can find us on SoundCloud. The music that you're hearing on the podcast is by Claymere, one of Saskatoon's up-and-coming new artists. You can check out his entire album called Waiting on the Sun, and that's on facebook.com slash Claymere, C-L-A-Y-M-E-R-E. The track that you're hearing is called In the Silence.